I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'm talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. And today I am joined by a household name, an individual recognised and loved by the whole nation, a journalist, a newscaster, a personality and a presenter, Keith DeMickley. <laughs> I'm blushing now. Oh, bless What an introduction. You. Thank you so much for that. Uh, uh, you are so welcome and it's so, so cool to have you here. Keith, how are you today? I'm good. First of all, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. So meeting you as well. Uh, so it, it's fantastic to be here and uh, what an introduction, I must say. Well, it's true though. It, it absolutely is. And I know that uh, I was stalking you on social media just recently. Uh, and I came across your birthday and everybody's sending in greetings on your birthday. And then, of course, the news that we're going to come to you very shortly, that you're about to make a career move. The amount of people that uh, just send in their love and that are supporting you and just you are a household name. It's amazing. It is. I, I'm, I'm, I'm lost for words, how to put it, because it's simply amazing how people just... Uh, you become a household name and you're loved by so many. And it is fascinating and it is something that it gives me shivers when I think about it. Oh, you're <laughs> no, so lovely. <laughs> no, it does, true, because uh, I just say to myself, I, I did nothing special. Like, I just did what I love most, communicating with people like I'm doing just right now. It's not something really special. There is no formula how, uh, if someone would ask me, uh, how can you be so beloved by so many people? <laughs> there is no particular formula, and I don't even know how to answer that. Well, we're going to come to that because I have my own theories about that. But, and obviously, I want to ask you about your career, your move uh, to the Malta Chamber, and all the experiences you've had over the past 13 years uh, since uh, 2008 when you joined uh, with PBS. But before we get there, okay. I want to settle something first. Pepe as a party referred to you as Malta's most credible journalist. Now, other media outlets, and this was in the reference to you moving on from PBS, have referred to you as a newscaster or a news presenter. So I want to ask you, which is the most accurate title? Are you a journalist? Are you a presenter? Are you a newscaster? Or are you a mix of all, all of those? That's a brilliant question, True. I, I can answer that quickly. I'm a reporter and a communicator and not a journalist, and not even a... I'm a news presenter, but rather than reading the news, I try to communicate them uh, by trying to just communicate with uh, anyone, any acquaintance I meet, any friend of mine. I'm t I t each time I'm, I'm on set or in, in front of a microphone like I'm doing right now, I try to just speak normally as if I'm speaking to a friend or an acquaintance rather than trying to read something. So that's why I use the term... I try to communicate rather than read the news or being a news presenter. Uh, it's, it's less formal, if I can put it that way. And, and I'm not a journalist because uh, I don't investigate stuff. I rarely investigate. During my 13 years at PBS, I investigated only a few stories which uh, were really meaningful, impactful stories, such as on loneliness, on brutality from bouncers in Parcheville, uh, and I found my car smashed the following <gasps> day. You're serious? <laughs> yeah, this was like uh, 2008. I was uh, reporting a story about uh, brutality in Parcheville by four bouncers on an Italian tourist. And the following day, just because I assisted this Italian tourist to report the brutality, 
there was a collusion between the police and the bouncers, I guess, uh, because as soon as I came out from the police station in St. Julian's, uh, these bouncers discovered that I was helping, assisting this Italian tourist because he was helpless. Uh, he happened to, I bumped into him literally at Marte Day because he was uh, with visible severe injuries. And he re recalled the, the whole ordeal. And I told him, I happen to be a reporter, so I, I help you. This is uh, obscene. I, I have to report about this brutality. Violence is never justified. Absolutely not. So, well, and the following day, someone, and they vandalized my, my private personal car, but anyway. Uh, so, so, so that's why I cannot call myself as a journalist, because I might be a journalist, but only during a fraction of, of, of these 13 years, because most of the time I just reported what other politicians or what uh, people said. And that's, there's a huge difference between reporting and investigating. But I love that term that you use, communicator. Yeah. And we're going to investigate you as a communicator. Fantastic. But I, I want to go back a little bit further than that, because at one point you were an IT specialist uh, yeah. with ICT before you headed to the University uh, of Malta to study European economics, law and politics. So I wanted you to share a little bit of your journey, because you just mentioned that you're a communicator uh, mm -hmm. and you're also a household name. So how, how did you go from IT to being, you know, on television with us every day. So I guess through the we're born with uh, with our passions, what we love most. And uh, for me, communicating, being in front of a microphone and communicating with people and listening to the stories and tell the stories is the most fascinating and fantastic thing for for me personally. So since I was, uh, I guess, four or five years old, I remember my first uh, gift from my mom was a tape recorder back then wow. because I always wanted to become a football commentator. A football? Now I can see you doing that. Yeah, exactly. My, my life dream was becoming a football commentator. There was this Italian guy which I admired, I looked up to, uh, Bruno Pizzul, which I wanted to be like him, possibly better than him. So uh, I used to try and imitate this guy and also local football commentators about a football match. So uh, each time during my free time, I tried to mimic a football commentator. And uh, at the age of 12, I was serving as an author boy in a small church in Calcara. And my, uh, my mother, she had just lost my father back then, only two years earlier. She told me, listen, each time you arrive at this church serving as an altar boy, uh, please give me a call from one of the priests serving there. Uh, there were no mobile phones at that time, and not even, and ironically, incidentally, um, the telecommunications company started erecting uh, telephone boxes around the island. And uh, she told me, why don't you suggest uh, writing a small letter in one of the local newspapers suggesting the direct um, telephone box just right next to the small church in a remote area in Calcara. And I said to myself, Mom, it's impossible. How on earth a telecommunications company employing so many people with uh, so many problems, challenges uh, before them, they would even consider a small letter from a 12-year-old. She told me, no, you would be surprised. They would. <laughs> I told her, Mom, anyway, to cut the long story short, I penned down these uh, 20 words in a weekly newspaper, Siljan, Silum. Uh -huh, uh -huh. uh, so uh, I wrote these 20, 25 words suggesting, asking, urging this, tel this telecommunications company to erect a telephone box right next to the church. Okay. 
Unbelievable. But within three weeks, there was a telephone box. What? It might be a coincidence of uh, this letter prompting some action from a kind-hearted person within the hierarchy, within the, the system of discovery, or possibly it was in their plans to have a telephone box right next to this small church. I discovered from an early age that media is impactful, or at least it might be impactful on uh, the lives of people, uh, and in my case, on me personally on my family because my mother forehead was a big thing. That's that, incredible. That as soon as I arrived at this church to serve as an author boy, she had a peace of mind that I could give her a phone call. Mom, I arrived because this was a 20 minute walk from home. So for her, it was a small thing, but I instantly discovered, oh, how on earth this is impossible. So if I just write a letter on a piece of letter on a newspaper, you can change things. And I said to myself, if I can change things through a letter, let alone if I publish an article, if I do something about something that's happening, if I observe something. So I started writing every single week on anything that I observe. It, it was only 20 to 25 words. So I might applaud someone who I might... Uh, be fascinated by his actions or something. But this is journalism. This is exactly what you're talking exactly. about. Exactly. So, so I discovered the power of journalism at an early stage when I was only 12. But then I was never a brilliant A student at school. <laughs> and that's where, why I became an IT specialist, because uh, I was a, a C student or possibly a D student. <laughs> I, was, I put it this way. I, I was always a late developer. I never focused because my primary goal was becoming a football commentator and a professional football player. That was my goal. Heavens. So yeah. then what happened? So why not? Why did you not become a professional football exactly. player? Exactly. And then at the age of 16, when I, um, I had to decide because I said for my O-levels, which in Malta are a big thing, like your SEC uh, exams, uh, and I failed from my mathematics, uh, my physics exam, uh, and I sat for it for five times. <gasps> and so all my friends, they told me, it's unbelievable, you're, you're, you're too stupid. <laughs> like, no way. No, no, because I, 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 couldn't, I, couldn't, I couldn't pass from this f physics exam. So I persisted, I persisted, and uh, somehow I, I, um, I, I passed successfully from the physics exam. So I could pursue um, uh, post-secondary education okay and uh, at the age of 18 mcast was founded so this was at the year 2000 okay they rebranded or they remodelized the, the vocational education system in malta and mcast was born in 2000 and there was a big big thing in malta at the time with all these ict industry blooming and the opportunities and I said to myself, because I discovered at that early stage, because at 16, I started working as a part-time sports journalist. Okay. So there was a gap between 16 and 18. I started brushing shoulders with the Malta's top sports journalist because I happened to meet one of them by coincidence, pure coincidence, and he interviewed me as a promising young football player. And at the end of the interview, I told him, I really admire you. And my dream is one day of becoming a sports journalist. 
And he went to speak to his colleagues, only two of them, and they told, he told them, there is a young guy, um, his name is Keith, and he looked really interested in our job. Would you mind if we just invite him to come to our office as a volunteer, just an apprentice, unpaid apprentice, uh, traineeship, understanding what we do, and if there's any possibility for him to pursue a career as a sports journalist. This must have been a dream come true. For me, it was. So I started doing coffees for them, typewriting, photocopying for almost two years. That was my primary... It wasn't a paid job, but it was a dream come true for me because I'm brushing shoulders with with these sports journalists slash football commentators. So for me, it was a big thing. At the age of 19, they needed a water polo correspondent on the radio station. And they asked me, would you consider becoming a water polo correspondent? I told them, I don't, I know nothing about water polo, but I'll take the opportunity. <laughs> you knew nothing about water polo? Uh, nothing whatsoever, but I said to myself, this is an opportunity. And that's possibly one of the life learning lessons which I want to convey to all the young people who want to pursue any dream. If you see an opportunity or you're given an opportunity, just grab it. Both hands. Don't take it, just grab it. Both hands. So definitely, because it will lead you to other opportunities which are endless. So, and in my case, it's real because it's, it's, it, I witnessed it personally. So at the age of 19, I started spending my weekends, my, my peers and my friends enjoying beaches, <laughs> friends and booze and everything. And I'm there at the water polo uh, at the national... Uh, swimming pool, uh, reporting about water polo, but it was, and, and being paid two euros a game or something, or even less, <laughs> but it wasn't about the money, it was about fulfilling my dream. So at the same time, you are then at, uh, at MCAST as well. So I started this uh, course in uh, ICT, exactly, becoming an I- IT specialist. It was a three-year course, full-time course, uh, from 18 till 21. Okay. So then how did you make the transition? Because we've got, a, we've got a water polo journalist and we've got someone who's studying uh, ICT. How do you make that transition into the news Mikkeli that we know now? Exactly, because then from water polo, they asked me to start possibly contributing in, in the newspaper, putting up all the eight pages on a Saturday for, for the eight-page newspaper on Sunday, uh, sports-related. And then in 2003... Uh, soon after I graduated from MCAST, uh, there was an opening as a part-time current affairs news journalist at MediaLink. And they, they, they asked me, would you consider becoming a news journalist? I told them, I'm not interested in politics, in current affairs. In current affairs, okay, just I'm interested in what's happening around me and all that. But I'm not really uh, interested in partisan politics and all this stuff. I told them, but if there's an opening, I might even consider it. This was just before I graduated, actually, because then there was an interesting uh, anecdote what happened as soon as I graduated from MCAS, because I immediately landed a job with one of Malta's top ICT companies, and they offered me a contract. And But the, one of the criteria of this contract is I couldn't do any part-time job in any unrelated industry. So even this water polo thing... Had I, to go. I had to go. So I went, like all other employees, I guess. I went to thank my employer, my part-time employer. Uh, and I told them, listen, regrettably, with a happy heart, I have to say goodbye. But I graduated from MCAST and I need to 
well, have full-time job now. And uh, they told me, but you've been with us for like five years now. As a part-time, you started young at the age of 16. Now you're 21, 22. How on earth are you going? I told them, but now I graduated from ICT, from MCAST, and I need a full-time job. And they told me, just give us a weekend to think about it. <gasps> and on Monday, so on Friday, I had this contract uh, with one of Malta's top ICT companies. And on Monday, this media company offered me a contract as a full-time journalist. It was half the pay of the ICT job. Oh, my word. So I was left, like, uh, <laughs> scared to death to what I have to do because I had this very attractive contract in the ICT industry. On the other hand, I had a dream come true of becoming a news journalist. It's not really a dream, but of working in the media industry full time. So I contemplated for 24 hours. I had only 24 hours. Uh, by Tuesday noon, I had to give a definite answer to both uh, MediaLink or the ICT company, what I'm doing next. And uh, even though, if I can give an example, the ICT, they offered me a contract of 20,000 a year, and the journalist opportunity, what, the salary was only 10,000 a year. I just said, okay, I'll give it a go. I'll go for the I'll go for journalism. What did your friends and family say? They told me you're crazy. You're just crazy. <laughs> I mean, they must be biting, they must be eating their words now because, yeah. of course, you are Mr. Mr. News and, and you know you you these many years on 13, 13 or fifteen years on. So yeah, bottom line, I just followed my passion, what I loved most back then. It wasn't about the money. It wasn't about the. Not working during weekends, because that's another thing, because many young people who ask me, like even before coming into this interview, there was a 25-year-old who asked me on Instagram, uh, Keith, I'm a lawyer, but I would seriously need your advice to take the plunge and possibly go into journalism. Uh, what's your advice on that? So uh, definitely uh, it, was, it was very difficult to decide back then. But uh, today I have no regrets whatsoever. Well, listen, you just mentioned uh, socials. And I want to talk to you about socials for a second because um, I, you are in news. Mm -hmm. You are on uh, the news every day. You're, you're part of PBS, of TVM. You're, you're part of that family. You're in everybody's households exactly. every single day. Now, you mentioned socials there. But you as a, social, as a, a person in, the, in media, I'm quite sure, has to be very careful about what you communicate as your personality. Every time we see you, you're smiling, you're brilliantly enthusiastic, you're squeaky clean. And this, I assume, is part of your persona that you convey through social. So if you're having a bad day, you know, lots of people will go out and just go, oh, it's crap, it's rubbish. I'm assuming that you recognize Keith cannot do that. Definitely. It comes part of the job because most of the people, they ask me exactly what you've just asked me now. So how on it? You don't have any bad days. You're always smiling. <laughs> you're always smiling. You're all full of positivity, enthusiastic. How on it? It's impossible. This is, can't be real. This can't be real. So it, it, it's surreal uh, somehow. Uh, it's possibly because the way I was nurtured, the, the way I was molded into during my childhood, with all the personal challenges and family challenges that from a very young age, fortunately, I, I, I won't say losing my father was a tragic thing because most of the people would say losing such a pivotal member of your family, it must be tragic. Uh, but actually, it was a blessing 
because it made me who I am today somehow. It helped me be more independent, take care of my younger brother who was two at the time, support my mother who psychologically and mentally she was completely um, She must have been devastated. Yeah, it was devastating for her because she was only 27 when she... Wow! So 27 years old, she just lost her love of her life and she ended up trying to bring up two, two young boys. So it, it was it was a dramatic event in our lifehood. Uh, and it helped me though. So that's why I'm, I say to myself, that was a tragic thing. Why on earth should I take life so seriously? I, I take it seriously, but each time there's a, something which might hinder my, my outlook of life, I say that was, that was the most tragic thing that might have happened because it's about health, it's about death. Why on earth I have to just over-worry, over-think? Because we, we spend most of our time overthink about things which are really not important. You know, a lot of people might be listening to this podcast and thinking, no, that's too good to be true. True. But I can see your face and I can see your, your actions and the way that you are expressing yourself. And I have no doubt that you absolutely mean it. Honestly, no, honestly, I mean it's true. I know it might it sound, sound as a cliche or it might sound that it's, it's, it's impossible. This can't be true. But it's true. It's all about the mindset because I know we've been hearing about the mindset. It's all about the mindset. It's uh, we control our mindset. And that, it came natural now. It's true. It's second nature, possibly, because only recently I realized that all my emotions, the way I communicate, the way I look at the perspective of life and all the challenges it brings about, uh, it's all about how we try to address them. It's, it's not about, it's our attitude, that's the word. Well, let me ask you a, a question about how that translates into work. Because <laughs> as a journalist, as a, as a reporter, as the person who conveys news into people's homes every day, you must have had times where that wasn't easy. When there are stories that you have had to deliver, you know are going to impact on the person listening and the people listening, whether that be something that's political or whether it be you know, news that we've had recently with regards to the Daphne case, whether it be about COVID. How do you approach that? Because that must have an impact on you. Very easily through. I just try to put myself instead of a person, a relative, is, is on the front line of the news which I'm trying to convey. So each time I'm communicating a death related to COVID, I say to myself, what if this victim was my mother or my, my grandmother? What if, what if, would I enjoy seeing the news reader, news presenter with a smile, with a smirk on his face? Or would I appreciate if he would seriously, at least for a fraction of a second, consider to just be more emotional and be more be more true to what he's trying to communicate, what he's reading, because at the end of the day, everyone knows that I'm reading the news. But it's the way you're trying to communicate, to read the news. So instead of saying, okay, we had another death uh, due to COVID, that's run of the mill, like it's, okay, that's another death. There's no meaningfulness in it. Instead, if I, if I communicated, regrettably, today we had another death related to COVID. An 86-year-old died after being admitted at Mother Day, blah, 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 blah. 
It's it's just it's nothing really. I'm but you're not... putting yourself in the place of even if only for a tiny bit, you are feeling the emotion of the person you are delivering that information to. Exactly. Is that not exhausting? It is, but uh, I'm doing it for 40, 40 minutes a day. I used to do it for forty minutes a day, uh, and it's true. It, most of the time, it's at the end of my a long day at, at the office. Because usually I go in at 10, 11, and I have to be at my best 8 in the evening. So that was another challenge. Possibly that was the biggest challenge. Because after 10 hours at the office doing everything, from interviewing the prime minister to um, a COVID survivor, I needed to be at my best at 8 o'clock sharp. So that was possibly the most challenging thing. But... Uh, I knew that for those 30 minutes, I had to give my best because uh, most of um, our audience, well, TVM News, the 8 o'clock news is our flagship uh, program and it's the most viewed, the most watched program in Malta. So definitely uh, each time I had the opportunity to be on, uh, to be allowed that opportunity that people are just acknowledging that there's the news and uh, okay, let's watch the news. Have have you ever had a story? Have you ever had... Something that you've had to convey, a story that you've had to convey that was just really hard, that you, you just was like, this is going to be tough. This is going to be... Re-. I mean, I'm not talking... Down, the deaths of COVID are incredibly sad. No, no, no. But one particularly that just sort of sticks in your mind that you're like, that was hard. So when I started through, I said to myself, there's so many journalists in Malta covering from social affairs to politics to... Um, lifestyle, you name it, food and drink, they're doing everything. And I said to myself, if I want to stand out in in journalism, because this is a very competitive industry, I needed to find my niche. And because I really love uh, people and social affairs and uh, society in general, I said to myself, I need to focus and give a voice to all those lonely people out there. Uh, Because my biggest fear in life, on a side note, is being lonely, loneliness. And we don't speak much about loneliness, right? Only last few years, I was part of a documentary which was broadcasted on national TV with the Faculty of Social Wellbeing. But that's it. Primarily, we don't speak much about loneliness and the impact of uh, loneliness on the people and their relatives and society in general. So I said to myself, I need to make more, uh, more awareness about loneliness. And I vividly remember... At my early days, uh, back in 2006, I was following personally, very intimately, this 66-year-old who after mass on a Sunday morning, she was reported missing by her two siblings, by her two uh, elderly sons. Uh, She was 66, they were in their 40s. So after mass, something went wrong. She had dementia apparently and uh, she never returned home. I started searching for her together with the police. So I started reporting the story. During my off days, I helped the police in their searches in the limits of between Zabar and Marsa Scala. And uh, I was so close into the investigation. Well, the police, they became friends of mine after so many weeks on my, during my off days, going with them, brushing shoulders with them and trying to help them out, speak to people. How on earth, uh, Miss Barbara went missing? Have you seen her? No one saw her. And it was a bit strange how after the Sunday mass, 
she never returned home. After three months, one of the police officers, I was going to read the 12 o'clock news on the radio. 11.58, he gave me a phone call. Kid, I have some bad news for you. Uh, we just found her dead in Moises Scala. And uh, I was an experience back then. And I started the news without taking any response. Well, I've taken all the responsibility on my own unilaterally without speaking to my superiors, without speaking to my news manager back then. And I just broadcasted the news. Uh, that's Miss Barbara, which we've been reporting uh, missing for the past three months. She was found that in uh, very difficult circumstances uh, in Marsa Scala. Her two children, they called me crying over the phone soon after I ended the broadcast. Keith, that was very silly of you. That was very stupid of you. Why? You were so uh, unethical and you broadcasted such a news without us knowing that they found her death. And at a very early stage of my career, I realized not only how impactful I can be through journalism, through media, <laughs> I can be an impactful in a negative way. My actions might have ramifications, repercussions on the lives of so many people, even with a small action like that one. Because due to my enthusiasm, because I was personally involved in the story, I just took the liberty of communicating to our listeners, listen, regrettably, Miss Barbara was founded. But without giving a phone call, even though I, it was just a matter of a few seconds before going on air, but I should have waited. So since then, I always took caution first. So, and I always took less is more. Just wait. If you're in doubt, leave out. I have loved hearing that story. I've loved the emotion on your face. And obviously it is in, has, has had such an impact on you and then shaped the way that you have gone on in your career. Yeah, because it's through mistakes we learn. So anyone who asks me, do you have any advice on how to be a great communicator, a great reporter, is trying to be as ethical as possible, as personal as possible, as inquisitive as possible, but most importantly, as emotional as possible. I'm never tired of saying you have to be emotional. Just imagine yourself, you're the subject of the news. So imagine yourself. I know it's hard and it's exhausting, as you put it earlier, uh, and it takes it all on you. But if you just miss that, you just miss the plot. You just missed what's journalism all about. But this, Keith, this is why you are so brilliant <laughs> at that job. This is why you are a household name. This is why you get up on stage and you present events and we, why people love you. So let me ask you another question. Okay. You're about to leave that role yeah. and go into new pastures. Exactly. I, I mean, I've got a hundred questions. Are you nervous? Are you excited? What led you to make this decision? Are you going to miss the role that you're in? And, and what are you anticipating for the future? But tell me about what motivated that decision in the first place. That's the most difficult question, true. Because uh, first things first, what motivated me? It's possibly life. So life was primarily COVID gave me more time to reflect on myself and what I want to achieve out of life. So throughout the past uh, 13 months, I had more time for myself because like most of the people, I went for longer walks, longer runs. And during those runs, I said to myself, do I really see myself 
keep them equally at the age of 50, broadcasting the news sharp at 8 o'clock and um, having the same buzz as uh, today. There is more to life, I guess, rather than just communicating the news at 8 o'clock sharp. So that primarily was what triggered all this. And after almost uh, 14 years doing it uh, on a national basis with TVM, uh, I said to myself, should I possibly explore other possibilities? Because I, I keep on telling people and all the friends and my friends or my acquaintances, uh, the community around me, life is short, make the most of it. And I'm the, the first one who I'm still stuck in my comfort zone, just uh, going at the office from 8 to 5, or possibly when I'm reading the news from 10 or 11 till 9, and just getting pay at the end of the month, and I'm happy with, with that. It's not, and it's not about pay, because that w that's never the main issue here. Uh, so possibly it was COVID helped me to just uh, have more time to reflect on what's next. And there were some circumstances within PBS uh, recently which led me to take the, the, take the plunge and, say, and uh, seriously consider moving on. Because uh, throughout the past 14 years, I joined TVM as a journalist uh, slash video editor, and uh, I remained so for so long. I never had nev never the opportunity to for personal growth, and it wasn't about achieving uh, manager status or a CEO uh, position. It wasn't about that. It's about being valued, and that's what I told my superiors and my the management of TVM. I'm moving on. It's not because. Uh, something's wrong with me or with the management that even a small thank you or a small congratulations might make a difference and for me they, they are the most important things in life so i just give you a quick example back in 2017 i won four awards in the multi journalism awards and only my news manager did send me a message the following day congratulations but i expected that tvm as a management would send me a formal email and congratulating and saying how proud we are, well done. And nothing? Nothing whatsoever. And I said to myself, okay, something is wrong. That's why I said uh, being valued, because in life, it's relationships are nurtured and are successful because there is value in them. But uh, in life, uh, we have to one day just uh, take the plunge and say to ourselves, I'm determined to succeed, I'm determined to do um, to go into the next chapter in my life. But thank Hopefully. you so much. Thanks for the opportunity. Honestly. So welcome and really looking forward to seeing you excel at the Malta Chamber and cheering you on. Thank you, Trudy. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me.